Hey y'all, my name is Eric. I'm the lead pastor at Emmanuel in Hookson. I want to thank you for listening to our podcast. Our goal is to be a blessing to everyone who listens as you continue on your journey of faith. It's also our hope that you'll be encouraged to find a church to belong to so you can plug into that congregation and bless others with the gifts and experiences that God has entrusted you with. If you're being encouraged or challenged by this teaching, would you consider giving us a five-star review? That review and rating moves us up the list so others might find us more easily so they too can benefit from this podcast. Well, I hope this podcast is a blessing to you and encourages you to get out there and be the blessing. God bless. The Lord's Supper is... um, it's always been something at Emmanuel that has been very serious and very important, and it still is. And, and um, it's one of my favorite services that we do. It uh, has a way of resetting and reprioritizing our hearts. It has a way of bringing us back to the beginning when we first met Jesus and when he first saved us and transformed us. Now, I say that because if you don't know Jesus personally, if you're just involved in religion, um, if you've just come as a visitor today and you're not really sure about this Jesus guy, uh, my my guidance to you would be do not participate in communion. Uh, It really is for those who know Jesus and are walking with him. And we're going to talk a little bit more about that in a few minutes, but if you don't know him, there's a very strong caution in the word of God not to partake in his supper. He takes it incredibly seriously. And if you're a believer, though, and you know Jesus, but you're not in good standing with your church, you're not in good standing with your Savior, you need to take care of that before you partake in the Lord's Supper. He gives a very stern warning in 1 Corinthians. He says, Those that have participated in the Lord's Supper not discerning the body, some of them are sickly among you. And then he said, and some even sleep. And he's not talking about you guys dozing off in the service. He's talking about what I referred to last week. He's talking about God's discipline coming down on a believer and bringing that child home, home to heaven. And so it's a, it's a very serious matter with the Lord. I, I pray that you will take it seriously. And I know that angel opened a service in prayer, but I would like to uh, have us bow our heads and just take a moment to breathe and um, invite the Holy Spirit into our, into our hearts this morning. Now, if you're a believer, the Bible teaches us that we are indwelled by the Holy Spirit, but there's also the teaching that we must be filled with the Holy Spirit. And listen, he goes wherever he wants to go. And so me saying, Lord, a Holy Spirit, I invite you here. Uh, that's not giving him permission because he'll do what he wants to do. But it is giving him a welcome. It's giving him a welcome. So Holy Spirit, Father God, Lord Jesus, we come before you this morning and we welcome you into Emmanuel. And Lord, I welcome you into my heart and I pray that you would fill me, not with your power, but with your presence. Because with your presence comes your power, but also comes your guidance and your will and your direction. And Father, I want that. I don't want to preach myself, Lord. I, I take this so seriously. I just I want to 
I pour my heart out as it's directed by your Spirit. And I pray that this morning, this service would be transformative to those that are participating in your communion. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Now, many of you know that um, years ago, when I was an associate, I used to say, if I ever got to do communion, if I ever got to lead communion, I would lead it from a certain passage of Scripture, because uh, I like bucking the trends. And this passage is still one of my favorite passages of Scripture. It's not your typical communion passage, but communion does something, and it causes us to look to Jesus in a very intent way. So therefore, Hebrews chapter 12, verse 1 through 3, if you have your Bibles, open them, highlight it. If you have your Bible apps, open your Bible apps, take advantage of this stuff, folks. Therefore, we also, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which so easily ensnares us, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. So let's set the stage. There are some who believe this scripture is teaching that there are stands in heaven, in like an arena, and where those that have gone on before us, they're looking down on us. And that's what they believe this passage is speaking of, is people are witnessing our lives, and so run that race. I suppose you could illustrate that idea with this, I, I believe the context of this does not support that interpretation. So the context of this, in Hebrews chapter 11, uh, the writer of Hebrews goes through what is referred to as the roll call of faith. And if you want to be encouraged, read Hebrews chapter 11. Man, it will, it will encourage you, it will inspire you, it will convict you. It will blow to pieces the prosperity gospel, which tells you that if you follow Jesus, everything is going to be great and sunshine is going to be like you're going to walk through rain, but there's going to be a sunbeam on you and the rain's not going to touch you and, and you'll be fully healed. And all of that is not biblical. Matter of fact, those heroes of the faith, some of them were stuffed in logs and sawn asunder, and it wasn't a magic trick. Literally, they were martyred for their faith in Jesus. Not as, listen, not as a jihadist. They weren't going to kill people and, and die in the killing. They were killed simply because they would not recant the name of Jesus. Not because they were abusing others, but because they loved Jesus, and they would not turn their back on him and listen, this is happening today all around the world. And so we have this roll call of faith, and in the roll call of faith we see Moses, we see all these different men and women, and we see that they were full of faith and they were faithful. And what we see is their testimony. We see their testimony. Another word for testimony is their witness. So in chapter 11... God ticks off all of these different men and women of the faith, and he tells us their stories. And then in chapter 12, he said, now therefore, since we are surrounded by these heroes of the faith 
who have gone on before us. Let's consider, let's think about, let's think about their witness, their testimony. How, listen, somebody was offended when I once said, come hell or high water, they were not going to recant Jesus Christ. But I'll tell you what, that's quite literal. They would not recant. They were driven out of their homes. They were driven out into the wilderness. They were starved to death, and yet they kept their faith intact because they knew someone that was more valuable than this life on earth. And his name was Jesus. The presence of Jesus was with them, and they knew it, and they lived like it. Can I share with you today, it doesn't have to be any different for you today than it was for our first century brothers and sisters in Christ it doesn't have to be any different. You can have just as vital and as personal and as engaging a faith as they had 2,000 years ago. Because the same Jesus that they followed then is the Jesus that we follow now. One of Satan's greatest devices is, a, is the device of distraction. The device of distraction. I believe in our day and age, there is more distraction in our lives than there has ever been in the history of the world. How many of you take an hour by yourself without being interrupted? Can you? Can you? Some of you do. Some of you are far more disciplined than I am. Thursday is my technical day off, and I, I try to hold to it, and yet I still have this with me on Thursday. And, and I get calls, and I get texts, and I try not to answer them. Folks, we, we are so distracted that, that often we miss the very presence of Jesus in our lives. We are insensitive to his presence. And then we wonder why we're not turning the world upside down like they did back then. I mean, we have social media that we can engage people in our culture with the glorious gospel of Jesus. We have, listen, I know it sounds silly, but we have U.S. Postal Service. Like, they didn't have a postal service back then the way we do now where they could send out direct mail. We have email. We have text messaging. We have so many amazing ways of communicating, and yet they turned the world upside down without it. Why? The very presence of Jesus was, was spurring them on, guiding them, determining how they lived and, and how they loved my vision for Emmanuel is to raise up a generation of believers who will live like, love like, and act like Jesus. And if you don't get that, I hope this year you are going to be able to begin to see what that looks like. It, it, it looks so amazing. I just look at you folks and I can just see what God's going to do in your life. And you're going to go to your workplaces and people are going to look at you differently and they're going to wonder why. What's different about you? You're going to go to school, and they're going to wonder why. What's different about you? And then they'll ask you, what's the reason that you live with such hope when all hell is breaking loose? What's the reason? How can you love those that hate you? How can you bless those that curse you? And when we do it, listen, when we do it without the presence of Jesus, it's just in our own strength and it can't last. 
But when we bless those that curse us and love those that hate us, and we do it because the presence of Jesus is with us and the Spirit has filled us and He is empowering us, oh, it is different. And it is amazing. And so we have this cloud of witnesses who have shown us the way. They have paved the way of that kind of life. And he tells us now how to do it. He tells us how to do it. Looking unto Jesus. That word look doesn't just mean to see. You know what I'm saying? Like I'm looking at Pat right now. And I just looked away because I just looked away. <laughs> you can look at something and, and barely see it. Ever talk with someone like that? They're looking at you and they're like a million miles away. How, listen, my, my heart for this church is that when you're here, you're here. When you're here, you're present. You follow? You know what I'm talking about. Some of you kids, you look at your parents and you're trying to tell them about your day and your parents looking at you and they're just kind of like, uh-huh, yeah, uh-huh, uh-huh, yep, yeah, uh-huh, uh-huh. And then you say, yeah, and then I killed a cat and I ran over a dog and they're like, yeah, uh-huh, uh-huh. <laughs> Not helpful. Not helpful. We can see Jesus in a sense where we've, we've glanced at him, but we're not looking at him. This word look means to stare intently at, to fasten your eyes upon. You know, think about your first love. I remember Trish is my first love. And I remember when we first met, uh, we, we'd start dating. We were working at Kmart, which is where Hobby Lobby is today. We were 16 years old. Man, this is what it means to look. I could not take my eyes off her. You know what I'm saying? Anybody have, anyone experienced that? A few of you? The rest of you? I'm so sorry for you. <laughs> I would go out of my way. She used to work up front and I was a stock. Boy, I would go out of my way to get up front to somehow find an excuse to get around this cute little, short little girl. I mean, I, she, was, she was like a son. And everything else in my life were candles. You know what I'm saying? It's, it's still that way today. I love you, church, but y'all are candles. I would, I would um, she would be, oh man, I have such a headache. I'm like, I'll take care of it. I would go get Advil, and they used to have the grill in the back of Kmart. Anybody remember the grill? You go to the back to the grill, I would get the biggest big gulp. I would fill it to the top so the water was just over the top, you know, and I would bring it. I'm 16, guys. I would bring it all the way to the cash registers without spilling it, and then I would give it to her just to, I was flirting. But I was so enamored by her. She amazed me, um, and it was, it was because she liked me, and she gave me the time of day, and, and she showed care for me, and, and so I would look at her intently, 
I would do whatever I could do to get around her to the point where maybe sometimes I would get in trouble at work um, because she's way more interesting than stocking shelves <laughs> unless the shelves were near her. Now, that's a story of, of, of well, it's a story of true love. But <clears throat> it should pale in comparison to Jesus. And some of you, just, you just don't get this. Because Jesus to you is just an addition to your life. He's not your life. Jesus is someone you think about on Sundays. He's not someone you think about on Wednesdays. Jesus is a convenience to you instead of a priority to you. And you wonder why you don't have joy you wonder why when all hell is breaking loose, you're breaking down. You wonder why you don't have peace. You wonder why other people thrive and you are not in your faith. And it's because you're not looking unto Jesus. He's not a priority to you. You're not making excuses to get down to the cash registers to give them a big gulp. Folks, I... This blows my mind. You think I plan these sermons ahead of time. I write them, but I don't. I, I'm very extemporaneous. This has just come to me as I'm talking to you. This is how it should be. This is how it should be with us. We should be looking for excuses to get around Jesus and our brothers and sisters instead of looking for excuses to get away from each other. You fall, I mean, instead of saying, oh, they hurt my feelings, I'm not coming to church today. That is so backwards and anathema to what it means to be a Christian. It makes no sense. The Bible teaches us that we're to prefer one another. There are folks that prefer their co-workers and their co-workers don't have Christ. There's a problem with that. There's a disconnect between you and the Holy Spirit of God. We're not staring intently at Jesus. We're looking at all of the flaws in our brothers and sisters and sometimes not in ourselves. So we set ourselves up on high and we judge one another and we condemn one another instead of loving one another like Jesus. We need to learn to live in the presence of Christ. We need to learn to get up and start our day. Good morning, Lord. How are you? I'm fine. I've got a rough day ahead. Well, I'll be with you, son. I'll be with you, daughter. Don't worry about it. You know Jesus is here right now. He's not here because where two or three are gathered together, there am I in the midst. That's talking about church discipline. He's simply here because this is his church. And if there's one saved person here, he is in you and with you. He is with you all the time. And it is wonderful and it is beautiful. And we need to go out of our way. We need to make excuses to spend time with him and to pray with him. Oh, my. It was said of Charles Spurgeon. He's a preacher in the 1800s. If you, if you study any kind of church history, you will find that Charles Spurgeon was referred to as the prince of preachers. The prince of preachers. He preached at a place called the London Tabernacle. And he was amazing. And it was said of Charles Spurgeon that he could be sitting at dinner with you. And in the midst of a conversation, he would start talking to Jesus. He would just, what, Lord? Oh, share, share the gospel with, with the waitress, okay? And they would look at him, who are you talking to? Oh, Jesus, he's here. He's with me. His presence lifts me. 
So church, we need to learn to look. We need to learn to stare intently at. We need to learn to make excuses to get around Jesus and to get around his people. Oh man, he, Jesus, is the author of our faith. He is the finisher of our faith. It is because of him that we have the gift of salvation and that we have escaped the condemnation of hell and death and the grave and that we will live forever with him. What an awesome thing that he has bestowed upon us that we should be called the children of God. He, listen, for, listen for, for the joy that was set before him. What was the joy set before Jesus? You were. You were. Your redemption is Jesus' joy. That's pretty awesome. That, that, that's pretty amazing. That you are the joy of Jesus. Paul said of the churches that he had planted, he said, you are my crown of rejoicing. You are the joy that was set before him, your redemption. So what did he do? He endured the cross. Jesus didn't go to the cross thinking, oh, this is a piece of cake. This is going to be easy. You remember in the Garden of Eden, uh, Garden of Gethsemane, not long ago, I preached on this, how that Jesus went into this garden and he fell on his face before his father and he began to beg and plead with his father, if it's possible, take this cup from me. I, Lord, there's got to be some other way. Father, if it's possible, nevertheless, not my will, but thine be done. This was Jesus' prayer. You don't think there was agony involved in the cross? There was absolute physical torture, emotional torture involved in our redemption because he had to die for our sin. He had to pay, listen now, he had to pay for the most heinous sin you can think of. And he did. He said he despised the shame, wouldn't you? He was dying for the rapist and for the murderer. And for the liar, and for the backstabber, for the betrayer. He was dying for the dredges of humanity. He was dying for the self-righteous, holier-than-thou sinners. He was dying for all of that. And he despised that shame. But he knew the only way to relieve us of it was for him to take it. So he hung on the cross as though he were the rapist. He hung on the cross as though he were the liar. He hung on the cross as though he were the murderer. And the Bible says in his body was our sin. If you don't know that Jesus, I want to invite you to trust him this morning. He loves you so much. He went to that cross and you were his joy. But you got to trust him. Now he sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. For consider him. So to look means to stare intently at, to fasten your eyes upon. Um, I coach youth football, and I love this because this is such a thing that these, if, you're in, if you're in team sports and, and you have an intense coach, anybody have an intense coach or did you ever have one, right? So have you ever done something, you know what I'm saying, where the coach fastened his eyes on you, Right? Then you know what I mean. Like he's just like, like if I could come out on that football field and grab you by the throat, 
This is why football is the best sport, because when they come off the field, you can grab them by the face mask. And as soon as you have that face mask, it doesn't matter if they're bigger than you. You just pull them wherever you want them to go. Listen, man, that is to fasten your eyes on someone. You just fasten. It's intense. It's deliberate. And then he said to consider him. There are many of us fading in our faith today. Some of you are faded in your faith. You are losing your faith. Is it any wonder the Lord said, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on the earth? There are some of you that you have faced trials and tribulations, some of your own making, some of others making, and you have allowed those trials and tribulations to crush your spirit and destroy your heart. And here's partly why. You are not considering him. You are not considering him. He says, consider him who endured such hostility from sinners against himself, lest you become, what does it say? Weary and discouraged in your souls. The King James says, weary and faint in your minds. You imagine living your life in such a way that when everything went wrong, you did not get discouraged. Could you imagine that? Living your life in such a way that when your leaders let you down, you do not get discouraged? Could you imagine living your life in such a way that when your brothers and sisters let you down, you do not get discouraged? Could you imagine living your life in such a way that when you let you down, you do not get discouraged? There's a way. There's a way to live that life. It starts by staring intently at Christ, and then this word consider. This word consider, it's a little bit different than we might think of it. We might like, oh, I'm considering buying a Ford or a Chevy. I'm not sure which. I'm considering my options. Not exactly the intent of that word. That word consider is closely tied to the word meditate. It means to deeply ponder upon to think deeply about. So may I ask you, do you spend more time considering the failings of others and the failings of self than you do considering the amazing Jesus Christ? Do you spend more time looking at others and pondering deeply others or more time pondering Jesus? When you begin to consider Jesus, you might consider some certain things about him. As a matter of fact, I should probably advance to the next slide. I know I have notes somewhere. When we, when we consider Jesus, we, we should consider several things about him. He said, who endured such hostility of sinners against himself. So when we begin to think about Jesus, oh, think about the cross. Think about what he accomplished on the cross. When you consider Jesus, consider the life that he lived. Consider the garden at Gethsemane. Consider what he sacrificed for you personally. Consider that. Consider him. Consider the idea that, that he wants to have a direct connection to you through the word of God and through prayer. Consider his personal attention to you. Do you realize that? 
That gives glory to God, by the way. People call it man-centered religion when you start talking about God loves you. When you begin to talk about the love of God for the creation that He made, that is glory to God because, man, nobody could love us like Him. Nobody would love us like Jesus. Nobody that knew us from the bottom of our feet to the top of our head. If everybody knew all the thoughts that go through this head, you'd probably turn around and walk out. We consider Jesus, we, we ponder deeply upon Him and the hostility of sinners against Himself. We, we ponder deeply upon the sacrifice that He made. We ponder deeply upon the love that He had for other people. We think about feeding the 5,000, the 10,000, and how He had compassion on them. How He, he stood on a, on a rise looking down at Jerusalem. He said, oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem. How I would have gathered you under my wing as a hen gathers her chicks, but you would not. And you would begin to read the Bible with open eyes, with fresh eyes, and you would begin to see his heart for his creation as we consider him deeply. But how often do we do this? And this, of course, is why I believe the communion, the Lord's Supper, is so pivotal in the life of a church and in the life of Christians because it forces you to do something that you perhaps do not do on a regular basis. It forces you to consider Jesus. I want you to think this morning of the very worst sin in your life. You got it? All right, who's going to share it? Just kidding. You think about the very worst sin in your life, the worst thing you've ever done. Now think about Jesus he had died for that sin. He knew you were going to do it. And when he was hanging on the cross, that specific sin was in his body. No regrets. Why? Because he was redeeming you from it. He was purchasing forgiveness for you. Oh, consider him this morning. Consider Jesus. Consider his sacrifice. Consider his character. Consider his nature. Consider him this morning. It just amazes me how little we think of Jesus. Do you know him? Have you trusted him? I mean, do you know him? If you do, I hope you'll begin to walk with him. If you don't, now is your time. Right here, right now. You don't have to make a spectacle. You don't have to raise your hand. But if you have come to a place in your life where you believe Jesus is God in the flesh, the Bible teaches that very clearly in John chapter 1. The Word took on flesh and we beheld His glory. The Word is God as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. Jesus is God. Do you believe that this morning? Jesus, the Bible says, He bore our sins in His body on the tree. He who knew no sin became sin for us, that we might be made the righteousness of Christ. Folks, do you believe that? Do you believe that this morning? Finally, do you believe that you're a sinner by choice and by birth? Do you believe that this morning? Have you tried to live that holy and that godly life? Anybody tried to do that? I think most of us try to live pretty well. How many of you have failed? How many of you have failed? Listen, I'm not raising my hand to, to um, 
show you what to do. I'm raising my hand because I failed. Oh, but Jesus. Jesus came in to my shame and my failure. And I called on Jesus. Now you believe He is God. You believe that you're a sinner. Do you believe that He died on the cross for you personally? It's got to be personal. Do you believe that your sin was in His body? Do you believe that if you do? The last part of the puzzle. Did He rise from the dead? Did He rise from the grave? The Bible teaches us very clearly that He did. He rose from the grave. And so when we pray to Jesus today, when I say Jesus is here, I mean Jesus is here. He is alive. He rose physically from the grave. He walked with his disciples. Matter of fact, to, to really drive home the point that Jesus' resurrection was not just a spiritual thing, he had breakfast with his disciples on the, on the beach. He had literally sat down, had a fire, prepared a meal, and they had, they had breakfast together. Ghosts don't have breakfast. He physically had breakfast. Now, if you believe these things, the Bible says this, for whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Pray right now where you're sitting, Lord Jesus, I know I'm a sinner, and I'm so sick of my sin. I want to be free of it. I want to be forgiven of it. And I believe, oh Jesus, I believe you are God in the flesh. I believe you died for those sins and rose from the grave. And Father God, I offer to you the sacrifice of Jesus for the salvation of my eternal soul to purchase for me forgiveness of my sin and to make me into your child. And I thank you for this faith you've given me and this gift of repentance. In the name of Jesus, I pray. Amen. I hope someone here this morning who needed to pray, oh, I hope you're praying that prayer. And I know this, God said, he will, he will. It's a promise, and it's amazing, and it's the best thing that ever happened to me, and it will be the best thing that's ever happened to you. The second thing that we look at is we, we think this, we ask this question when we, when we prepare the Lord's Supper. I started with it when I asked you a few questions to open, but we have to look within. We have to ask these questions. We have to say, is there anything in my heart, in my mind, that I have, that I have kept from God is there a sin that I'm nursing that I'm not giving up? Is there something that I, that I have not brought to the Father through the Son and the Holy Spirit? Is there something uh, that I'm holding back? Uh, is there an offense? Is there an offense that I am nursing? Is there a grudge that I am holding? Look within. What burdens do you find there? What sin is unconfessed? What offense is unforgiven? And what call is unanswered? Well, before we partake in the Lord's Supper, before we participate in His communion, we need to look within. We need to look within. Calls unanswered. Offenses unforgiven. Sins unconfessed. What burdens do you find in your heart? Jesus said, bring your burdens to me and I will give you rest. Oh, He is so good. He is so good. We should sing Forever Reigns today.
confess, find release and relief in Jesus. Trust in Him as your Savior. He will not fail you. He will not let you down. And finally, finally, we look ahead. So you have the worship team assemble. We look ahead. Sometimes we forget. There's a Natalie Grant song. I love it. It's called, We Win in the End. Sometimes we forget. In particular, we forget when we are not fastening our eyes on Jesus. And, and we forget when we are not pondering deeply the life of Christ. We forget when, when our mind is so focused on the failings of self and others. We forget. We forget that we win in the end. We forget that Jesus is coming back as the victor and the King of kings and the Lord of lords. We forget that we are the champions. That we have already won. Oh, we forget it. If you knew you were going into the game and you were guaranteed to win, would that not change how you played the game? Would it not change how when you were knocked down, you get back up again? Do you understand this? If you knew you won at the end and you were getting your tail kicked, but you knew you were guaranteed to win, would you get up? I would because I knew I was winning, and you are too. He's coming back as the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. I was a little baby boy. How old was I, Mom? I don't know. I pointed to the, you remember when I pointed to the east? And I said, Jesus, look, Mom, Jesus is coming. Two years old. I was two years old. The call of God has been on my life. Jeremiah chapter 1, before I formed thee in the womb, I knew thee and I ordained thee to be a prophet unto the nations. Ah, oh, listen, man, he's coming back. He's coming back as the King of kings and the Lord of lords. Do you know him? Do you know him? Are you walking with him? Have you let your burdens go to him? Are you trusting him? Hey, all, thanks for listening to this podcast. If you'd like to know more, please go to our website, emmanuelhooksit.com, where you'll find helpful links and resources and where you can contact us directly. That web address again is emmanuelhooksit.com. Bless God, get out there, and be the blessing.